Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good morning or good afternoon, Team Crelac community, and on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brute Crelac Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brutecast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Crelac Center. As always, all opinions expressed here are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views of any institution with which they might be otherwise affiliated. So this episode is actually our second attempt uh, uh, with these, our two guests today. Our, uh, our first attempt had some technical issues and this was a couple of weeks ago during a writing workshop that the Krulak Center was helping host along with Dr. Noor Veggi of Norwegian Defense University College with a focus on NATO's Northern flank. And uh, Dr. Veggi here at Marine Corps University as the chair for Arctic security was kind enough to make some of the, the workshop contributors available to us for some broadcast opportunities. So if you caught the panel discussion on Arctic security a couple of weeks ago, that was the first one. This one we actually recorded first, but like I said, some technical issues. So we're here to, uh, to try it again. Um, although on the, on the rare occasions that we've had to redo episodes, I've always found that we, 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 we kind of get something extra that makes it worthwhile. And uh, so there's certainly been more developments on the battlefield in Ukraine and uh, in terms of, and as well as sort of Russian uh, responses, reactions we can talk about, but also we actually will get to see our guests here um, as well as hear them, which is a, a good little bonus too. So I'm going to introduce them and then we will uh, get into our discussion and uh, cross our fingers, second time's a charm. So our first guest is Tom Roseth, who is an associate professor in intelligence studies at the Norwegian Defense University College, Command and Staff College. He heads the NDUC Ukraine program established in 2020. He's been employed at the Command and Staff College since 2016, and before that was a fellow at the Norwegian Institute for Defense Studies. He has held several positions within the Norwegian Armed Forces from 2002, dealing with Russian politics, Russian foreign policy, Arctic security, the Western Balkans, and Russian-Norwegian relations. He was deployed to missions in Kosovo and North Macedonia in 2000 and 2001 to 2002, respectively. He has a PhD on Russia-China relations uh, from 2017 from the University of Oslo, a Master in Military Studies from the Norwegian Defense University College in 2012, and a Master in Comparative Politics, Russian Studies in 2001 from the University of Bergen. He was also the first Norwegian exchange student at the Moscow State Institute for International Relations from 1998 to 1999. Our second guest is Lieutenant Colonel Paula Ustevo, who is Chief Section for Land Power at the Norwegian Military Academy. His military training includes the Royal Norwegian Air Force Technical School, the Norwegian Military Academy, and the Norwegian Defense Command and Staff College. He holds a Master's in History from the University in Tromso and a PhD in War Studies from the University of Glasgow. He's also served at various posts in the Norwegian Royal Air Force, the Corps of Engineers, Army Headquarters, National Intelligence Service, and the Command and Staff College. He has also served in Afghanistan, in Germany, and with the United Nations Mission in Southern Sudan. So, uh, gentlemen, welcome back, and definitely appreciate you taking out the time out at the end of your day here to uh, help us recapture the great discussion we had when you were both visiting in Quantico. And so, uh, with that, we'll just kind of get right into our discussions, and uh, we'd like to start with your respective backgrounds in the study of Russia's military capabilities. Some of it kind of jumped out in your biographies, but if you could both sort of discuss how you 
how you came how you came to those studies well i can uh, i can start on uh, what i uh, uh, found uh, usable in my background uh, is uh, well russia studies i've studied the russian language and the russian pol politics and russian foreign policy and uh, well, Russia-China relations, uh, and uh, that has uh, been uh, vital for me understanding and give, getting more in-depth uh, knowledge of uh, of the war and how Russia as uh, actor, uh, what capabilities and capabi uh, capacities uh, Russia uh, possess, and well, <laughs> the war showed that. Uh, it was not uh, the uh, monstrous bear that we thought, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it's uh, it's a capable military army that has made a lot of faults. But um, uh, the background also on on uh, intelligence has been very very useful uh, when it comes to to assessing Russia as an actor in in uh, Ukraine. Yeah, my background goes goes back to the uh, very beginning at the Norwegian military academy where and then we are back in the, in the Cold War in, um, and then learning from the very bottom up uh, the uh, the structure of, of Soviet armed, uh, armored formation uh, uh, mechanized uh, formations uh, from squad level up to uh, regiment and, and division so that was the initial uh, beginning of it later on uh, during my my studies in in history Russia had come up uh, but it was especially in my time at the um, at the staff college starting to work with operational art uh, and tracing that back to uh, to the Soviet developments in military theory and, and doctrine in the 1920s uh, and how that was later adapted uh, in, in the West. Uh, and when I, I worked on my PhD, that was on uh, the emergence of operational art in the beginning of the 20th century. Of course, the, the Soviet analysis of especially World War One, in how they, they set up and understood the, the operational art as a military discipline uh, uh, kind of set me up. So, so uh, and then uh, I've, uh, I've done some studies, uh, done some articles, book chapters on, on Russian uh, operations. In the in the past uh, 20 years, uh, and uh, so my background uh, in looking on the um, the current uh, Russian-Ukrainian war is uh, a long and, and and broad perspective uh, dating back to the to the Soviet Union, uh, looking for continuities uh, and and novelties. So so that's my my, my background on that one. Great, thank you, gentlemen, both. So. Um, Sort of before we get into um, you know the uh, you know the perspectives that you you know applying those perspectives you have to the current war going on in Ukraine, um, what was your your both of your previous experience, if any, in in sort of studying the Ukrainian military capability side before the conflict started? And and Tom, I think you specifically do have some uh, some some focus background in that. Yeah, we have uh, two research projects on uh, uh, on the Ukraine, and uh, we collaborate with the National Defense University of Ukraine. We've been, been doing that since uh, 2020. Uh, then we, if the first project we initiated in 2020 was on uh, total defense cooperation with Ukraine, and that uh, was a sort of a umbrella. Uh, uh, 
concept, uh, but but in specific, it it uh, was uh, an ambition and uh, ambition to to uh, uh, look at the full spectrum Russian tools uh, towards Ukraine. Uh, that could be uh, conventional military uh, land, uh, sea, or air uh, forces or uh, cyber uh, forces or influence operations as such. Uh, so it was uh, uh, a research and is a research project that uh, looks at different aspects of, of the Russian tools uh, uh, employed towards uh, Ukraine. And in that phase as well, I mean, uh, it was very important for Ukraine to get uh, the outside world to 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 see what was happening, and uh, and uh, especially all the cyber tools that they were uh, subject to. So um, uh, that's uh, was uh, that's the one project, and the other project is on. Uh, is called contested Ukraine, and it looks more at uh, non-military political Russian influence into the Donbas area, uh, which was, uh, as we now know, uh, the instigation area for for the war. Uh, and um, well, the, the war started in 2014, but the invasion in in February and. Um, well, uh, that project looks at uh, Russian influence, as I said, and the contest for identity and how Russia uh, has tried over time to uh, build um, uh, loyalty towards uh, sort of uh, Russia slash Soviet uh, identity uh, that's been possible to develop in uh, some of this uh, area. So, uh, especially the occupied areas uh, prior to the invasion uh, uh, that we had this year. So, those two projects are, are what we have been looking at um, uh, research-wise from uh, the, our uh, Defense University College together with the Ukrainians. My background is briefly related to uh, initial studies of the in the, the, um, the war in 20 when it broke out in, in 2014 and up to the uh, to the Minsk agreement uh, uh, I was mainly studying uh, the, the Russian side but uh, but also had to uh, to look into how the Ukraine uh, uh, operated in that area and then I briefly followed some of the reform projects that have continued in in Ukraine and had occasionally meetings with uh, with Ukrainian uh, uh, militaries visiting conferences and uh, seminars in, in Norway. Uh, and uh, before this phase of, of the war began in February, uh, I, I, I got a more or less uh, revisiting the uh, understanding of, of the structure, uh, armory and, and, and other elements of, of the Ukrainian army uh, as part to, to the to the Russian invasion force that was uh, building up. Great, thank you both. So now we'll, we'll kind of shift to the buildup and then the actual um, initiation of the invasion. Um, when in the both in the course of the buildup, as as we were watching sort of the uh, you know the correlation of forces develop, and then through the initial invasion of Russia into Ukraine, you know based on your you know your, both of your your studies on Russia and your interactions. Uh, with, you know, Ukrainian institutions and military representatives. What were your initial expectations for both Russian and Ukrainian military performance 
And then were there any, did anything surprise you about either as, as the war unfolded? That's a, that's a big question and then a lot of uh, possible answers. And uh, there's a lot of things comes to mind, but uh, there were surprises for sure. Uh, and when we saw the military built up, uh, we, um, well, I, I, uh, uh, well, at one side, you you consider the the factual military built up and and these uh, the possible consequences of that, and then uh, then you consider try to consider the intention, and uh, it's uh, it's always uh, challenging. But uh, but um, uh, in the Norwegian uh, research community, it was. Um, uh, well, uh, a bit divided. Some thought that it would be an innovation, and some thought it would not be. Uh, I, I'm uh, I was not surprised by the innovation, but uh, but I but it's uh, I also assessed that it was possible that the, the diplomatic solution could could prevail, but it didn't look to prevail. So, but uh, yeah, uh, but when it comes to the performance, um, I'm really surprised by how um, Ukraine responded uh, to the invasion and how they managed uh, to uh, to do counteroffensive uh, as of now. And uh, uh, well, how did they manage in the initial phase? Uh, and uh, it's been fairly open. Uh, I would say that there was a lot of intelligence to support that made Ukraine uh, capable of uh, protecting some of its vital uh, resources when it comes to to defending itself, uh, air defense, for example. So uh, how Ukraine acted was with some support uh, due to the intelligence warning made by first, yeah, first and foremost the U.S. Uh, and um, uh, I was. Uh, I was surprised uh, by by the, the Ukrainian defense, but I'm also that probably Paula will talk more about. Also, the uh, surprised by the Russian forces and how they uh, uh, were in, ineffective in many ways when it comes to logistics, when it comes to um, combined arms and, and such issues. So. Uh, um, a lot of surprises in, in, in this war, for sure. Yeah, when I uh, saw the build-up um, again um, in uh, in late fall and uh, over over January, February, um, it was um, a bit uh, surprising that it was so open and uh, and overt uh, in in the sense that if the Russians were planning for war, they were forfeiting uh, one of their most important qualities that was uh, the uh, the element of surprise and, and deception the entire maskerovka part so they were playing out for by an open stage and when um, especially the us began to uh, to publicize um, or publish um, intelligence stating what the russians were up to and even giving dates and times it to me it sounded that they had blown um, their intentions um, and by that uh, it I didn't think that the Russian would invade uh, based upon that they have uh, they, they, they didn't they had forfeited intelligence, which always have been uh, a key to their previous successes. 
Uh, and the other thing was the kind of forces that was deployed. Uh, it was a, num a number of, uh, of battalion tactical groups. That is the, the contract part of a, of a brigade. It, uh, in uh, principle, a combined arms system, reasonably balanced heavily on, on firepower and, and air defense, uh, and with a, a good mix of armor and mechanized infantry. Uh, but these uh, groups were developed uh, not for for sustained combat, but for speed, uh, surprise, and shock. So if they were going to take on uh, um, a, a deployed Ukrainian uh, uh, defense system consisting of uh, of combined arms brigades, uh, and they were definitely not the right to to do it. So that was kind of surprisingly, and and we couldn't s what was um, visible. Uh, by open sources, there were no uh, second echelon heavier uh, units. There were not the uh, kind of layered or echelon uh, offensive formations you would expect if um, if Russia would invade uh, a country with with such um, uh, a defense as Ukraine had. So that kind of led me to believe that they were actually not aiming for for war, but we're using these forces to, to gain something else. So I must say I was more astonished than surprised when uh, I am on the morning of the 24 uh, woke up to, to find that the, the war actually, the invasion actually, actually had, uh, had commenced. And when it comes to performance, uh, I was a bit surprised that the, the Russians began to lag behind that early, even, even the first day, and especially uh, with the news coming in on the uh, the um, Ukrainian counterattack on the Russian uh, air landed forces on the Gostomel airport, uh, then uh, then I, I began to wonder what they actually were were up to, uh, and were they actually believing that they could sh uh, take out the entire Ukrainian forces and political system by uh, this, this kind of shock shock, uh, shock groups. Uh, of course, supported by uh, various operatives in, uh, infiltrated into Kiev. So that that's, seems to me to be a, a gamble with very high stakes, uh, that uh, there were little chance uh, for them to succeed. But we had a discussion um, in, the, in me and some other army fellows, if these, but the first wave of battalion tactical groups, if they were the, uh, the advanced guards for heavier formations coming on, um, we hadn't seen any of those being displayed during the uh, the build-up, but we we kept that as an option to to look for. And when the what was coming up was only more battalion tactical groups from different formations, uh, and then logistics uh, following on. It struck us that they were actually going for more or less uh, a, a coup by shock, and not uh, um, uh, what we expected to be. Um, traditional Russian deep operations with uh, with tailored uh, mechanized uh, forces with good with strong combat power so that was kind of surprising Ian if I can quickly just uh, add on uh, on uh, on, um, on the intelligence side on the strategic warning I mean uh, the US gave uh, uh, well prior to, to the invasion uh, fairly long time, but also on 18th of February, uh, Biden said, we know what Putin is, uh, he has decided, he, he will invade. And then, uh, I mean, the world is quite uh, skeptical of intelligence, uh, of, uh, of post-Iraq, uh, post, 
Afghanistan, uh, the, the fallout there was maybe not anticipated uh, that well. Uh, but um, so, so intelligence has really re-established uh, itself with this war with a proper warning and uh, how the U.S. used intelligence in this initial phase and prior to war. Excellent. Uh, and uh, it probably disturbed uh, and uh, frustrated Moscow. Uh, and uh, Moscow still denied it would not invade, but it did. Uh, so uh, intelligence didn't stop the strategic decision to invade, but it uh, it, it made at least uh, some countries uh, prepared, and Ukraine at least uh, prepared uh, for the, for the invasion. Uh, uh, sometime in advance. Um, so it was a success on the Intel side. I, that's what I want to add. Great. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, I, I think on, on, uh, on the, on the U S side, you know, watching these, you know, these deliberate disclosures, um, you know, there's a little, there was a little bit, I think of, you know, concern that this could potentially, you know, you know, burn some resources or some intelligence sources, um, and what would the gain be, you know, but to, you know, to your point, I think that, you know, the gain was clear. It didn't, it didn't necessarily stop Putin's decision-making, but it gave time for better preparation. And it also took away any chance, you know, for, for Putin to sort of cloud the narrative about what was going on or not, because, you know, they just, every, every intelligence release undercut, you know, a possible, you know, line of misinformation. Um, so, and, so to to sort of sh shift back, you know, to, um, to to the professional seats that you sit in here, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you're at Norwegian Defense University College, and Norway has certainly had very longstanding security concerns with Russia uh, itself, you know, from uh, you know from its own perspective and geographic position. So um, from that perspective, what are some of the things that you two gentlemen have been watching most closely as a cons uh, in terms of you know Russia's performance um, and and what Norwegian security concerns would be? Well, uh, the war has been uh, um, uh, disturbing most of Europe. Uh, Norway is not an exception to that, but we are a neighboring country and we're very uh, sensitive to the military um, uh, positioning of Russia up in the, in the Arctic. Uh, but uh, there's, there's uh, two concerns uh, I would say uh, one is one is uh, the uh, uh, Russian posture in the Ar in the Arctic and the other one is the possible uh, expansion of the war uh, including NATO countries so uh, the first one uh, is that uh, most of the forces of north have been moved at least the land forces have been moved into the war in Ukraine and so so in that regard has uh, made uh, large deficits and uh, we will take takes time to build them up again. On, on uh, so it's 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 not that uh, precarious uh, situation, but it's it's um, uh, well, Russian military activity is is uh, nonetheless followed uh, closely, and uh, and if uh, Russia does something up north, we will certainly monitor it and uh, and be paid close attention. On the on the possible expansion of of the war, uh, fortunately that is uh, a low probability, and uh, uh, although it cannot be excluded, but uh, but uh, Russia is uh, in no interest to to uh, 
do a conventional war against uh, NATO, we know it will lose it. Uh, but um, but uh, how the war now escalates, uh, it's uh, it's increased risk uh, present, but it's still a high threshold uh, for uh, Russia to attack a NATO country. So um, I think uh, the, some states in the Baltics are more nervous than, uh, than Norway is. Uh, but yeah, we are a small country and uh, and uh, have a high, high focus on the intelligence uh, monitoring of, of the Russian forces up north, uh, for sure. Yeah, my point, I've been following the, um, <clears throat> the, the land forces and the operations uh, going on, especially looking for for uh, qualities of uh, Russian combined arms <clears throat> and that have not impressed much at all uh, during this, uh, this operation. Um, and neither the initial uh, <clears throat> offensives in, in, uh, in the beginning of, of, of the invasion, nor later on, uh, especially the, um, the next offensive that was the, uh, <clears throat> the so-called Battle of, uh, of Donbass, where after they pulled out from from the north, they uh, uh, reformed and uh, stated the ambition to uh, to uh, take uh, control over the entire Luhansk and and Donetsk uh, uh, counties. And the slugging match they performed uh, from April uh, till early mid uh, July was not especially impressive uh, when it comes to uh, to performance. It was um, enormous amount of, of artillery. Uh, more or less coordinated uh, infantry armor assaults that uh, were not able to break the uh, the Ukrainian defenses, and Ukraine were able to mount a combination of, of static, mobile, and retrograde defense <coughs> that, um, despite they, they themselves taking casualties, inflicted uh, severe casualties on 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 the Russians. So, the tactical performance um, and even uh, operational performance of, of uh, of the um, the Russian forces had been um, have not been particularly impressive. Neither has the air ground uh, cooperation uh, and uh, the um, more or less entire lack of a co coordinated air campaign or air operation that was expected uh, in the very beginning uh, and never materialized uh, either. And and even in the recent weeks, we've seen. Uh, multi-sort these uh, Ukrainian uh, <coughs> air-to-ground actions, uh, especially in uh, in uh, in Hassan areas, after they have been able to at least temporarily neutralize um, Russian air defenses. So when it comes to the, the Russian overall performance that had been um, way beyond uh, expectations and beyond the image that has been created uh, before the war, and it's interesting to notice the discussion going on among uh, uh, Russian specialists. What were the causes for the uh, extreme overrating of uh, of uh, the the Russian army uh, before before the war? If I can add uh, one more thing, and uh, when we were in uh, Quantico, it was uh, this uh, explosion of the uh, Nord Stream uh, pipe. One and two, and um, that of course had been a, a big incident up here in the Nordic countries, and um, we have um, had an increased uh, national uh, preparedness on uh, on protecting our uh, oil and gas uh, pipelines to the continent. So uh, other tools 
then the proper military tools is also of concern uh, to, to Norway uh, as these, uh, this war could uh, potentially uh, escalate. Uh, you, Russia is quite desperate in using the few tools they have available towards Ukraine. And uh, of course, there's a risk and a fear that uh, they can uh, add uh, or expand the war uh, through means that's uh, hard, hard to at attribute to, to Russia. Yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm glad you brought up the the Nord Stream pipeline. I, I was scribbling that down here as you gentlemen were uh, talking earlier. And you know this is you know one of the the opportunities where re-recording um, lets us approach some new material. So uh, I appreciate you bringing that up because that that was a, a new development right after you had both left. Um, okay, um, I wanted to uh, Tom. I had a I kind of had a specific question for you, and this goes into you know, from your biography, your time as the first Norwegian exchange student at the Moscow State Institute for International Relations. And, you know, I, I realize that at the time frame 1998 to 1999, a couple decades, you know, probably a very different, different political and, um, you know, sort of international dynamic with Russia at the time there. But um, what, what was that experience like, uh, you know, at the time? And was there anything that you saw there that you've you know, has sort of stayed in your mind and, and helped inform, you know, your approach to uh, studying Russia here um, in the, the near term. Well, yes, I, I uh, had an interesting time uh, then. It was a difficult time for Russia in 98 and 99. Um, my main impression was that uh, well this was an elite university with elite the children of the elite the nomenclatura as, uh, as they called it at the time and uh, i i got to know uh, quite a few uh, well international students but also some russian students and especially some of the teachers uh, that i still have contact with uh, today um at least prior to the invasion uh, and um uh, one thing that sort of uh, struck me, and uh, it was a big concern for one of the teachers, was the corruption. And that's uh, still a big problem. Um, they, she was uh, pressured to take money for uh, giving good grades or accepting papers that she knew that the student, uh, him or herself, hadn't written, and uh, or dissertations and things like that. So it was... Uh, a pressure to to fall in line with the established corruption and um, well a lot of time has uh, gone since then but uh, what we see in the Russian army currently is exactly that the problem with corruption and how the stockpiling uh, and uh, storage of, of material uh, has been uh, suboptimal and uh, and the equipment doesn't work or it's gone uh, there are reports now that, for example, one and a half million winter suits uh, for for the for the winter uh, war is is gone. It's not. It's nowhere uh, because somebody probably put it in their own pocket, the money, and, and never produced or ordered the the the, the, the suits. Uh, so uh, it's. The, I would say corruption is something that comes to my mind as something that is constant and it was in Russia then and it seems to be very much so uh, present uh, today. Great, thank you for that. And uh, it, yeah, I you mentioned the, the one, 
winter suits that aren't there. Um, I was having a discussion with our 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 Russia Smith or Dr. Weber from the panel from when you gentlemen were here, and you know we're sort of contrasting the uh, uh, you, you have Western European, you know, got European and in America providing all kinds of cold weather clothing to Ukrainian forces. In the meantime, you know, Russia doesn't have it and their soldiers are wrapping their feet in like, you know, 1800s foot wrappings, you know, rather than having proper equipment because somebody sold it, you know, for, <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, okay, great. So I, I'm kind of last question I have for you gentlemen, and this goes back to what you had initially, you know, visited Quantico for, uh, which was Arctic writing workshop. And uh, if you could, you know, so what are, what, for that that project um, that Dr. Veggie was is putting together, what are your respective contributions to that final product going to be? What are what are what are the chapters you're writing about? Okay, my chapter is uh, on um, the role of doctrine in developing uh, NATO's capabilities in the Arctic. So it's um, it's a chapter that looks into previous uh, experiences with uh, modern war in the Arctic and then especially World War II, both the uh, the German uh invasion of uh, of soviet union 1941 uh and and there's a particularly interesting uh winter battle in may as the germans called it in april may 1942 a soviet attempt to uh to encircle and destroy the russian defenders and then of course you had the petsam kirkenes operation october 1944 the final uh operations that drove the germans out of over the Soviet Arctic and in, into into back into Norway, and very much of the the Russian uh, experiences that have been published, both in books uh, and and journals, uh, military journals, is often related to the Petsamokirkenes uh, operation, and you will find uh, continuities in in how they, <clears throat> and how they have set up their their forces in the north, how they train, how they equip them in order to be able to operate in the Arctic. And um, then I will, will look into how NATO and uh, major NATO countries are developing doctrines to uh, and, and service regulations to prepare NATO forces for Arctic operations. I will. Uh, my chapter will be about uh, the role of intelligence in the northern flank of uh, NATO, um, uh, focusing on uh, on the the role of uh, Norwegian intelligence in uh, cooperation with uh, allied partners. So I will look at how they cooperate, uh, what uh, what uh, resources they cooperate on, uh, and what uh, uh, kind of uh, intelligence cooperation there has been and, and is at currently in the Arctic um, and especially Norway's role as being uh, sort of the provider of uh, of a uh, lot of the intelligence in in the area and uh, that uh, that gives us a lot of uh, uh, responsibility in doing that in a proper way so uh, the need for for uh, US and for example UK intelligence is not that uh, dire in the area so um, alliance sharing um, that is so I will look at how how uh, states cooperate uh, within NATO uh, uh, in on intelligence in the Arctic great thank you very much and uh, we you know on the, the Krillex Center Marine Corps University side you know we look forward to when that project is finally put together and published and uh, I would I would fully expect that Dr. Veggie will help maybe put together a third event to sort of look at all the outputs of that and see see what research was generated and and what conclusions you reached. 
Okay. Um, so I, uh, that's all the questions I have for you, gentlemen. Um, again, very much appreciate you taking the time um, at the end of your days to help us try and try and recapture this here. And uh, I look forward to, to finally getting this one out and sharing it um, as well. Uh, you know, it's definitely great to talk to both of you uh, while you were there for the workshop a couple of weeks ago. And we hope to keep this good, this good dialogue and collaboration with uh, Norwegian Defense University College going. So, all right, gentlemen, thank, thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.